Let's uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we'll go into our topic for the evening. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together. I pray, Lord, that something that is said or done here tonight would help us to grow in you, help us to become more like you, and help us to see uh, a picture into who you are and how you want us to proceed in our life. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Uh, if somebody walks in, if you can point out those notes back there, if you didn't grab them, uh, I've got some back there. We spent last week on repentance, and uh, I want to go into, uh, we've been dealing with our, I call them foundational doctrines. Um, these are what all the other doctrines are built off of, are these, if we can ever get these core concepts, um, it, it helps in other aspects of our walk with God. And so we dealt with the first part until COVID disrupted us at the beginning of the year. We did a lot with the actual Bible and interpretation and being able to look into the scripture. Then uh, started, we started back up last week and dealt with repentance. And tonight I want to talk about water baptism. And again, uh, if you have questions as we're going along, don't hesitate to ask them. Um, and we'll just try to answer as many as we can. There's no bad question. Uh, I will maybe play devil's advocate as in your question and get you to think a little bit possibly. But um, this concept or doctrine of water baptism in the last 14 or 15 years of my life has taken on new depths and uh, new meaning for me, at least. Um, because it used to be, well, we're, 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 the way I was raised and the way I understood it, we talked a little bit about this last week and we mentioned it on Sundays, um, but I was, I grew up in a very formulaic church where there was certain forms that you had to fill out. Okay. Not literal, but you know, in, the, in your mind and your spirit. If you checked those boxes, then you were good with God. If you didn't, you still had to figure out how to get those boxes checked. And water baptism was one of those boxes that you just checked off. And uh, I was baptized on June, I think it was the 20th of 1980. I was the first person baptized in the new sanctuary at Apostolic Bible Church over in Oakdale. And uh, we had moved over to, we called it the Big Upside Down Ark, and we had moved into that, that sanctuary, and I was the first one to uh, be buried in baptism there. And uh, even as a 10-year-old boy, I remember the difference that it felt from when I went down in the water to when I came out out of the water and uh, it's, it's hard to explain but there is a transition that takes place and now so many years later I kind of understand the dynamic of what took place and it's important for us to understand this because this to me is last week we talked about repentance and the concept of conversion where you're going one direction God gets a hold of you and you walk in the direction that he wants you to walk. And there's a shift that takes place. Um, that is phenomenal. Conversion is incredible. 
when you're converted to the things of God. But baptism brings a whole different depth to it because not only are you turning a different direction, you are becoming a new individual. And in water baptism, I believe, is when God takes your old man and gives you your new man. And uh, we'll go into that a little bit deeper. But that's why I, I believe this is such a phenomenal and in-depth concept that too many churches kind of gloss over. Um, I know that there is a philosophy out there, you've probably heard it, that baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. And uh, I can get behind that, but I think it's a whole lot deeper than that. I know that there are some churches that use baptism as simply a means uh, of membership in a particular church, that you can't be a member unless you, you're baptized. Um, we do hold that here as far as our voting privileges are concerned. In business meetings, one of the requirements is that you're baptized in the name of the Lord um, and have repented. And, uh, and there's some other things, but that, that's one of them. But that's not the primary purpose why we baptize. Um, I, and so I want to get into it a little bit here. And uh, if I happen to miss one of the blanks and not give the answer, please let me know. But starting out here, uh, if you'll have, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark 16. Mark 16, 16, and then 1 Peter 3, 21. And... Uh, Mark 16, verse 16. Actually, we'll go into the start of verse number 15 of Mark chapter 16. He says it this way. This is Jesus talking. He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But notice that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There is churches out there that believe if you just believe, I believe on the Lord Jesus, or I accept the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, that that is enough, that that is what is the transition or the transformation of it uh, said here is he that believes in and is baptized. Baptism is a very important aspect of this thing that we call relationship with the Lord. First Peter chapter 3 verse 21 um, this is referencing back to Noah and the ark in verse 20 and then verse 21 it says the light figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not according to the way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven by the right hand of God. And uh, so it's, it's very important that we grasp the understanding of water baptism and apply it to our life. And so uh, just a definition here for you in your notes, baptizo is the Greek word for it in scripture, and it simply means to dip, immerse, or to bury. To dip, immerse, or to bury. Um, 
And, and so I have been asked why we don't sprinkle when we baptize, why we immerse, why we go into the water. Well, the first off, the, the first reason, quite simply, is the definition of the word baptize. The definition of the word baptize doesn't mean sprinkle, it means to dip, to immerse, or to bury. And uh, you can't bury or immerse or dip with just a sprinkle of water. And so the difference between us and some churches that uh, they call it baptism and they sprinkle you, um, to me they're missing the whole concept of what baptism really is just by the basic definition, let alone the other scriptures that we're going to share with you tonight, but um, just the concept of the actual word, baptize. Welcome, welcome, this is right there in that back seat. Uh, so the next thing I want to address here in and, and a lot of this lesson or these breakdowns in your notes are questions that I've had to answer um, from people in, in time past. And uh, one of the questions is always, well, do I have to be baptized? And I always smile at those kind of questions and, and because I always say, well, not necessarily have to, you get to. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I mentioned it one of the Sundays recently, but Whatever God has for me, I want. If it's for me and God wants to give it, that's what I want to have. And so the concept of do I, I know what they're saying. They're saying, do I have to be or must I be baptized in order to be quote unquote saved? In order for me to be ready for heaven, do I need to be baptized? And my answer is yes. My answer is to be saved, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Um, there's a whole lot more to salvation than that is a relationship, but as we go through tonight, you understand what I mean. Now, one of the things that I want to re to say here at the beginning, when I use the word saved tonight, I'm, I'm really using it in a twofold meaning. The first one is to have a relationship with Christ. Part of the reason why people don't have a relationship with Christ is if they've never been baptized, and by the end of the night, you'll understand what I mean by that. Baptism is one of the connect points, if you will, between you and him. And unless you're willing to do that, you're not going to be connected to him. There's always going to be a disconnect. And uh, the second aspect of salvation is to be ready for the trumpet. Um, I have shared with you on several occasions that, that it's not my job to tell you how to get to heaven. It's not my job to tell you how to get to Jesus. But... In telling you how to get to Jesus, there are some things in Scripture that are musts. You must repent. You have to repent. If you don't repent, you're just a dead man walking. The only way you can, can get closer to God is if you turn around and have a conversion experience. You have to have repentance. Water baptism, you must be water baptized. And uh, the reason is, well, we'll, well, you'll see it by the end of tonight, but... Uh, so, must we be baptized? John 3, 1 through 6, and we're going to come back to this passage a, a little bit later, but this is the story where Jesus, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night in John chapter 3 and has this conversation with the Lord, and Jesus um, says to him that, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And, and when asked how this was done, Jesus told Nicodemus, that he must be born of the water and of the spirit. And, and what I want you to notice in this particular aspect of 
where we're at, it is Jesus said, must. You must be born again. There was no room for argument. Therefore, baptism is not an option, but a command. And, and, and I, uh, when you talk about baptism, it's not just a casual experience. It's not just something to do to be a part of a group of people. There's something that transitions in your life, and Jesus is saying it's part of your born-again experience. And I said I'm going to come back to that because we're going to look a little bit deeper into John 3 before we're done here tonight. But then in your next section there, in Acts chapter 2, um, Peter answers the question, my brother, what shall we do? And he says in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. He uses the word everyone. Each person, every one of you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, now, I don't believe that these people that were asking the disciples what shall we do? A lot of people will say that they were saying, what shall we do to be saved? That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says they were pricked in their heart because of the message that Peter preached, and he said, okay, what should we do now? Okay, Not what should we do to be saved, what should we do? We have messed up. We have crucified the living Christ. We have taken the Messiah, and if you read in verse 36, the neighbor uh, Peter preaches, and says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, God made for was Lord and King. And so they're saying, okay, what should we do? And, and Simon Peter says, okay. And the Bible says, Simon Peter and the others that were with him, the eleven, stood together with him as he began to say this. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name. For the remission of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I, I want you to notice that it's, it's a must. It's, it's something that we've got to do in our lives. In Mark 16, 16, we read it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You have a promise of a relationship with the Lord if you're willing to be baptized. And so that would always lead to a question of, well, how should I be baptized? And uh, nowadays, I don't know that is as argumentative as it used to be. At least it doesn't seem like it to me. When I was growing up, the proper mode of baptism was a huge deal, whether it be sprinkling or whether it be uh, immersion. Because when I was growing up, the conversations that I had with a lot of the kids that I had, they, they had no idea what a baptism was. Uh, because they were baptized when they were infants, and we'll address that too. They were sprinkled at their that they're christened at their you know infancy, and uh, that was their that was their baptism, and, and so we would always say, well, no, it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. You know, when we're young and dumb, we just kind of told them up like it was, you know, without any tact. Uh, you just kind of had to do it. <laughs> and uh, but I believe that the mode of baptism I mentioned at the beginning of the definition is to be immersed in water, to go completely under water. And there's two passages of scripture that I'm showing you here in your notes. Acts chapter 8, if you read that, that end of that chapter, the Ethiopian eunuch looks at Philip and said, here is water, which it wasn't just a jump, okay? Here is water. What's, what's hindering me to be baptized? And the Bible says that he and Philip went down into the water. 
that lets me know that it wasn't just, you know, uh, uh, a flask of water that, that, that would be sprinkled. He went down into the water, and then the Bible says he came up out of the water, which signified to me that both of them at least were standing in the water, and the Ethiopian eunuch went down under the water and came up out of the water. It lets me know that in that case specifically, baptism was done through immersion. And uh, then if you read back in John, John the Baptist, when he baptized, he was baptizing in a river. Uh, the Bible says he did it because there was much water there. Much water, in other words, I don't picture this freak of a preacher, John the Baptist, you know, the, wore the, the, the skins and ate honey and locusts and lived in the wild. I can't see him stepping down into the river just so he can get some water on his hands and sprinkle somebody. He wanted to bring people into the river. Uh, and I think if there were some Pharisees that got that, they probably wanted to just hold them under a little bit, too. <laughs> and uh, so I believe that the proper mode of baptism is immersion. So between the definition of what the word means, as well as at least these two passages, and there's others as well, Jesus' baptism, he went down into Jordan. Um, and so we see throughout Scripture that baptism is always done by immersion. And uh, so those are the first three things that I want to uh, address. And now I want to go, this is the reason why we baptize. Why we must be baptized. And there are several different aspects to this. Um, there's not just one. That's why over the years, baptism has become much deeper to me. And this probably doesn't even cover it all. But number one, baptism is for the remission of sin. I think it's Luke chapter 24 that Jesus said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Now, there's a difference between remission and forgiveness. Okay? Uh, and, and I'll address that here in just a little bit because it ties together with number two if you're in your notes too. You and I are forgiven when we repent. If we confess our faults, he is faithful to forgive us our faults. First John 1 9. So upon our repentance, we receive the forgiveness. And he, let me just let me give you a, a broad picture of what I believe the way that Jesus operates in forgiveness. When he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I don't believe that blanket forgiveness was just for the, the soldiers that were casting lots uh, around his feet and, and crucifying him. I believe when he became sin for us, he was releasing his forgiveness to us. Okay? So the forgiveness is sitting there waiting for us to take it. When we take it is when we surrender ourselves to him. In our surrender to Him for repentance, we are actually accessing the forgiveness of Calvary, the forgiveness that Christ shed and spoke into existence when He hung on a tree. That's that's why it gets frustrating for us because sometimes we're like, you just don't get the power of Calvary and the power of Him when you ask Him and you die out to yourself and you turn yourself around towards Him. He is already forgiven. The forgiveness is already there. And our sins, though, have not been removed. They've not been remitted. Okay? So number two here, 
uh, baptisms for the washing away of sin. Paul was commanded by Ananias in Acts 22, Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 said, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Now, I said that numbers 1 and 2 kind of go hand in hand. Let me give you a, a, just kind of a crude picture of, of what I mean by this and the, the three different aspects of forgiveness, remittance, and washing. Okay? Um, if I come to your house and you have just put in some really nice light-colored carpeting, and I walk in with a strawberry pot, and I spill it all over your nice white carpet. Uh, the first thing that would happen is, you know, I would feel bad, okay? And I would say, I'm sorry. I would repent, if you will, okay? And I may receive your forgiveness for doing it. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you, okay? But the stain is still there, okay? When you repent, you receive forgiveness, but the stains of your sin are still there. They haven't been remitted or washed yet. But when you go in the waters of baptism, not only are they washed, but they are remitted. And what I mean by that is, uh, going back to the analogy, you can get down, you can take all of the detergents that you can, and you can wash it up as much as you can and get as much of the stain out, but you still know Trust me, I know, because my mom had some orange pop, and we knew that orange had spilled there for years until she did something about it. We cleaned up, and couldn't really tell the shoes, that's where the orange pop had sat. Okay? Washed it, got the soap down, scrubbed it, but what changed it was when she took the carpet up and put new carpet down. That's the remittance, that's the taking away of the sins. So, with baptism, you are taking the sins that you were forgiven of, and you are having them washed, and not only are they being washed off of you, they are being remitted from you, and we'll see here in a minute that something happens when they're remitted, and that is you become a new creature. He replaces the old with the new at the waters of baptism, because uh, uh, Peter said, you can't be baptized everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In the next chapter, chapter 3 of the book of Acts, it says, repent and be converted when the time to refresh you shall come from the presence of the Lord. Blot away your sins when the time to refresh you shall come from the presence of the Lord. And so we have to understand that what's happening is we are going through a scouring process. Now on Sunday, we're having Baptism Sunday. And the waters that we're going into are not miraculous special waters from some spring. Unless that's where, unless that's where we're having to get the water from. But it's coming out of the tap and it's going into a tank. And, and But symbolically, what's getting ready to happen for anybody that gets baptized on Sunday, what's symbolically getting ready to happen is they are going through a wash cycle and a remit, and God is taking it away and, and taking it away through burial. We'll get to that in a second. But it's actually removing that which you have committed. It's, that's the transformation that takes place. When you have your sins washed and remitted, you, he is pulling back all of the junk that was in our lives that he's already forgiven us. So when you don't get baptized, it's one of the reasons why I believe you need to be baptized. You're walking around as a forgiven, stain-filled person. 
But when you get baptized, those stains are removed. So, <laughs> when you put it in that analogy, I think uh, you get baptized, right? To me, it was, it was, I know this isn't true. Like, I've been in church all my life, but I know this isn't true. But to me, when you when you say it like that, it makes it seem like, so say, like your mom did, she changed the carpet, right? So that's like getting washed away. Then 10, 20 years down the line, you have new stains on it again, which in my mind would make me think that I would have to be rewashed. Yep. Is that is that common? Like, cause I that's never not as common, that. but we'll address that at the okay. end. That's my last section. Okay. <laughs> is because there is a difference between cleansing prior to a new creature and after you're a new creature. Because the old man is treated differently than the new man. And uh, so we'll address that towards the end here. Um, but you, you get the concept that water baptism here. That's why in, I have yet in 30 some odd years of ministry I have yet to see somebody come up out of the waters of baptism without a smile. They can go down as grumpy as all get up. But they cannot help but when they come up out of the water they are all smiles. Well why? Because they feel the lightness of having all the junk of their life removed. It's amazing to me. Uh, well, it shouldn't be amazing to me, but it is. It's amazing to me to think that God used the concept of baptism. Now, here's what you have to realize. Baptism isn't a New Testament principle. Okay, baptism goes way, way back. Um, when some, one, of the, one of the steps of uh, proselytization, when somebody that was a Gentile wanted to become a Jew in the Old Testament, part of their cleansing process was a baptismal type ceremony. So the principle, so the Lord wasn't interested. The disciples understood. When when Simon Peter stood up and when Jesus started talking, John the Baptist started talking, the people that heard him talk about baptism, it wasn't a strange thing to them. It wasn't something that was, they understood. They didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand exactly what it was for, but they understood the principles of what a baptismal ceremony was. And so uh, when that takes place, all of a sudden you're cleansed and you're clean, and uh, that which was a part of you is no longer a part of you. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'll wait and I'll go, I'll come back to number three. Let's go to number four. Baptism is a washing and cleansing of the conscience. And we've talked about the remitting of the sin, the washing away of the sin. But baptism is also the washing of your conscience. Here's what a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people try to live their life on repentance only or belief only. The problem is, is your mind is tormented by your past. Okay? But when you go down into the waters of baptism and you come back up, something happens. Your conscience becomes cleansed. Now, it doesn't mean that the adversary is not going to throw some of your past back at you, but you now have the authority and the power to look at that situation and say, oh, wait a minute. I've been cleansed of that. That's been washed away. It gives you an instrument or a tool or a mindset, really, to battle against the enemy constantly bringing up your past. Because everybody here has a past. We've all got a past. And uh, 
The light we're, uh, 1 Peter 3, 21, the light that you're wearing to be read this, even baptism, uh, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but in the answer of a good conscience for God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you are baptized and you come out of the waters of baptism, you are absolutely pure. And, and notice what the scripture there says. It's not just the putting away of the flesh, but an answer to God. The answer of good conscience to God. You can now stand in the presence of God with good conscience. Now the scripture in Hebrews that says, let us boldly go into the throne of grace has a totally different meaning when all the junk is removed and all of the sins are washed away. Now your conscience is clean. Now your conscience is clean. And you can stand in the presence of God with a purity of spirit because he has taken them away from you. And what ends up happening is the thing that we end up fighting after our baptism is what Paul references in, in Romans chapter 7. And that's that spiritual battle in between our flesh and our spirit. But the thing is, before our baptism, we didn't have a spirit to battle. Does that make sense? We were left to our own devices until we surrendered it over to him. And, and that, that's why there's so, so many people out in the world today that are so tormented by the things that they have done in their past because they don't have the necessary, for lack of a better term, necessary tools or the necessary mindset, the necessary faith to say, wait a minute, it's all been gone. It's all been washed away. He forgave me, number one. He remitted it and washed it, number two. And now I have a good conscience or a clean conscience or a pure conscience, and no matter what the enemy says, no matter what John Doe says, no matter what my parents says, I'm pure in his eyes. It's a good conscience. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ and through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It is very difficult. Also, let, me, let me word this in the way that a pastor used to word. You can come from anywhere to Christ, but you can't go anywhere from Christ. Okay? Wherever you came from, it doesn't matter. But after you come into contact with Christ and you've been baptized in his name and your sins have been washed away, your trajectory will change. And when you start trying to do the things you want, you're going to become uncomfortable because because Christ is now going to be your, your Lord. It's going to be your true north. It's going to be your compass. And in Hebrew's language here, it'll purge your conscience from dead works. To, there will be an impetus to serve God. Okay? Prior to conversion and baptism, we're only looking to get out of our misery and find the answer and the hope and the, the peace and all of that thing to, to because we're we're living in dead works. We're dead men walking, dead people walking. But when we come alive out of the waters of baptism, there is something that is placed in us by God in our conscience to serve Him, to seek after Him, to move after Him. And uh, that is, to me, an amazing thing because when we say we deal with our past, really, what are we talking about? We're talking about between our ears. That's really what we're talking about. You know, my past troubles me. Now, I know there's some repercussions of some actions of our past. 
There's some, there's some things that we've done that we're still paying the price for. Uh, I, I remember, you know, uh, getting into trouble, and my dad would forgive me, and he wouldn't hold it over me, but then I was paying the repercussions. Uh, a friend of mine crashed our car. For some reason, I let him drive. And for the next 12 months, I had to pay, even though my dad gave me, got it fixed, got the car was running, I had to pay the difference of insurance. That was the price that I had. So there's some of those things, but really our conscience or our past is all in our, our, our thinking, our conscience. It, it, it wears us down, it battles us, it fights us, it, it torments us. And when you come up out of the waters of baptism, there is an energy of the spirit that begins to propel you towards living for him and it gives you strength to do battle against that that mindset that's been, that's been messing with you and fighting with you. Number five there, baptism is the burial of the old nature. Romans 6, 3 and 4, know you not that as many as of, of us as were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Buried within the baptism, Colossians 2.12, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Uh, baptism is a burial. Somebody wants to ask me, well, why do you put people down backwards? I don't know that there's a wrong way to, to immerse somebody or to dip somebody, but just from where I was raised, whatever tradition, that's... That, that's the picture of burial. We, we, we bury the person in the waters of baptism. And here's what, what is happening in the spirit based on these scriptures. <clears throat> when you repent of your sins, we talked about last week something that it was a death, that it was a dying, that it was, I'm crucified with Christ. You have walked through and I don't have the time to go through the whole tabernacle plan, the temple, all the way to the day. But just suffice it to say that the tabernacle was a picture of our transition or our transformation of the, of the Spirit of God. And the first thing that you found in the tabernacle of the temple was the, the brazen altar where sacrifice was made, which was symbolic of repentance. We go to that, that altar and we sacrifice our dreams, our agenda to repent. The second one was the labor of water, which was a cleansing. Uh, of the thing. And then the third, as you go into the Holy Moses, which is where life was found, where God was found, and he would come down and he would take the, the blood off the mercy seat. So when you repent of your sins, you die. When you baptize, we bury you in the waters of baptism. And I believe, and we're going to get back to this in number three a little bit, when you come up out of that baptism, it, I'm a visual thinker kind of person. Um, maybe it's because I grew up on watching dramas and writing dramas and doing dramas. But my picture is, in my life, as I repent, I'm kneeling at the foot of the cross. And when I'm baptized, I'm being laid into the tomb of the Lord, buried with him in baptism. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, when he stepped out of the tomb, even when I come up out of the waters of baptism, I'm coming up out of my tomb. I'm coming up out of that place of burial and death. And uh, it, that, that's an amazing concept to me. Travis? How would you say that people 
Uh, there was a ceremony of cleansing that took place, and it was basically the priests that did it. Uh, the people had certain ceremonial cleansings that they did and partook in, but when it came to the temple, the tabernacle, uh, the, they brought their sacrifice to the priests, and the priests carried their sacrifices and the blood through the tabernacle plan, which was symbolic of Christ doing that for us. So the symbolism of that is we bring ourselves to him. He takes us to Calvary through the baptism and to the spirit. And that's and, and so it's kind of a symbolic measure of how he was. In the Old Testament, when they baptized, um, quote unquote, the labor of water, they would come because the sacrifice was bloody. Repentance was glory, it was violent. And so the, the, the priests would then go from the altar to the labor of water and they would cleanse themselves because they couldn't take the unholiness of the sacrifice. They could only take the blood of the sacrifice the sacrificial blood of the lamb into the holy holies, and so they would cleanse themselves. And uh, I've seen a couple different ideas of how they did it. Some say that they were very ceremonial, ritualistic, and they did it a certain amount of times on one hand and on the other. But that to me is, is kind of conjecture, if you will. Um, I've seen others where it was it was just kind of like watching Mary Ann almost. Um, and uh, it was not just a Jewish thing. When Pilate washed his hands of the blood of Christ and turned Jesus over, it was a symbolic washing away of the blood. Um, so it, it carried multiple, the concept of cleansing came to multiple different uh, societies. But the old nature is buried. Uh, Another place in scripture calls it an old man. Um, that which we were, it gets buried. And as we come up out of the waters of baptism, we become that new creature in Christ. And we walk in newness with him uh, in verse 4 there. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. In, in Colossians 2 12, he had raised the, from the dead, so we're risen with him through faith in the operation of God. Number six. Baptism is taking upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean as much to us in Western civilization as it does to uh, the people of that day. When we say that, we would say that to that culture, that would mean a, a, a big deal. For instance, you read through Scripture, how many times, as you read Scripture, when a child is born, they're named after a specific meaning of what took place. Okay? And, and so, for instance, Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter. God changed his name to Israel, which was a prince with God. So, the names meant something. And then the flip side of that is not only did the name mean something, but the father meant something. And so, they would use the term, the, the, the word Ben, B-E-N. So, for me growing up, if I was growing up in a Jewish culture, I would not be known, in the biblical days, I would not be known as Tim Sanders. I would be known as Tim Ben Franklin. Tim Ben Franklin, actually. Uh, and, and Owen would not be known as Owen Sanders. He would be known as Owen Ben Timothy. Okay? Owen, the son of Timothy. That, that, was, that was how they were. Um, that's why they did... 
I'm trying to think of the scripture that when they accused Jesus of just being the carpenter's son, it was they were relating it to Joseph. It was it was a big deal. That's why it was so important for them to name him Jesus, because that was what the Father, if you will, the Spirit of God, was wanting to have. So Jesus becomes not Jesus and Joseph. All the best was his adopted name. That's probably what the people around him knew. But in reality, when they named him Jesus, it wasn't Joseph naming him. Okay? And so when you take, when you go into the waters of baptism, the reason why we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is because you are taking his name on and you go down in your old nature and when you come up in the name of Jesus, you have now changed your heritage. Your old man is gone, the new man is born. And when the new man is born and carries the name of the, the one that was attached, you are now in spiritual language, I am now Tim Ben Jesus. Tim, the son of Jesus. Uh, he was the firstborn of all things. We follow after him. We take upon him the name. And not only that, is the name in biblical days carried so much weight. Um, and it still does to a certain extent. In some circles, it depends on who you are and what you, how you think. But for instance, I can throw out the name of Rockefeller. And the Rockefeller name holds a certain status in America. Uh, the name of Kennedy, uh, good, bad, or ugly, that it carries a certain uh, level of distinction. And if you get kind of known what, it's, what you're known for based on your name, and, and some some kids try to get away from the name. Some I remember JFK Jr. did his very best to distance himself from the Kennedy umbrella, if you will. And uh, but he, he never really could because that's what he's so the names. Well, now when you stand in the spirit and he accuses of you of your past, you can look back at your enemy and say, I don't know what you're talking about. My name is Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I'm connected. I've taken on his name. You, you need to talk to my dad, you need to talk to the, the name that I'm called by. Galatians 3 27 says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. Uh, Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh, Acts 4, 12 says, there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Um, and then in uh, Colossians, uh, it says, whatsoever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all. Everything you do, should be done in the name of Jesus, and if you take on his name in baptism, then those actions are in the name of Jesus. So let me now go back to number three, and we're going to dwell on that for just a few minutes. Uh, water baptism is a part of the new birth experience. I, I believe that it really encapsulates the new birth experience. Um, this is different than a lot of people teach. I'll be the first to admit it that there's not a lot of other churches that would teach this concept. Uh, you can watch YouTube or all kinds of things. There's a whole lot of people in this world that claim to be born again. Uh, we're born again Christians. Whether or not we live it or not, there's a whole lot of people out there that say that they are born again. And unfortunately, and, and again, this is 
I believe this is the scripture, but and I believe that the Lord has, has helped me to see this. But there's a lot of churches that believe you're born again when you believe, or that you're born again when you accept Christ as your personal Savior. I'm not against either one of those because those are in scripture. Okay, but there's so much more depth to it. I believe that water baptism is the fulfillment of the new birth experience. Okay? And, and so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to John chapter 3. Uh, this is even different than the way I was raised. The way I was raised, the new birth experience consists of three steps. And some of you have probably dealt with people with this, but uh, the whole construct of our belief system growing up was Acts 2.38, which we've already quoted once tonight. But Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so my whole construct growing up was a three-pronged new birth approach, which was the death and repentance, baptism of being born of the water, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, was the the spirit of the, the birth of the spirit, and uh, I believe that for I preached it for years, um, but I always struggled with the concept that the gift of the Holy Ghost was requirement to be born again, because if the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is what is referenced in chapter two, verse thirty-eight of Acts, if it's the gift of the Holy Ghost, and God is no respecter of persons then God has to give the Holy Ghost to absolutely everybody. Okay? If it's a requirement. Now, if it's a gift, he can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. Okay? And the Bible says to covet the best gifts. Search for the best gifts. Pray for the best gifts. And to me, the best gift is the Holy Ghost. Okay? And we'll talk about that on another night. But, but that I'm just trying to give you the framework of what I was taught and preached for several years was the new birth experience. The new birth experience was water baptism and spirit baptism. And I had a problem with that. Uh, well, let's look at John 3 first. Study in verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Very, very, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now let me just stop there for a second. There are some philosophies out there that teach that the baptism of water is actually your natural birth. Okay, I've seen that, read that, heard that. Obviously, that's what Nicodemus is trying to say, and Jesus is refuting it. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That, that, this is key words right here that the Lord, I, I believe, reveals to me in my prayer. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. And then he goes on to a, a little bit further conversation. 
Uh, I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage, and then we're going to turn uh, a couple chapters before. But I want you to notice verse number six. Being born of the water and of the spirit is not being born of the flesh. Okay? It's not being born of the flesh. It's being born of the spirit. And then in verse 8, it says the wind blows, and you don't know where it comes or where it goes, you just see the after effects. Okay? Now, when I was where I was raised, and what I preached for a long time, is verse number 8, you, you, you the wind blows where it listens, you hear the sound thereof. Well, that's the rushing mighty wind of Acts 2. That's the that's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You heard it, you didn't know where it came from, but you saw it, you heard it. Okay? Yes and no. Because I want to show you another passage here. So then, as I'm asking the Lord, God, see, here, here's what happened. I was able, for 20 years of my ministry, I leaned on the pastor. Because I was assistant. So I didn't have to answer all kinds of questions. If I didn't want to ask a question, I'd say, well, go see the pastor. Well, then when I was like, here, I figured, hmm, they're going to be asking me now. And so I began to search the scriptures anew and began to ask God for direction. There's a couple of things in this passage because I needed to decide as the leader of this church what hill I was going to fight on. Okay? Now, where I used to fight was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we judged or we counted new births based on how many people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I would come back from preaching and the pastor would ask, well, how many received the Holy Ghost? Well, I mean, this is, I mean, and that's how we judged back in the day of conversions and new births because of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I got to think, well, I've got to figure this out for myself and not what I was taught and what I just preached for myself. And he led me to this scripture in John chapter 7. If you'll turn over there, we're just kind of walking. Remember verse 6 that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, going over here now to verse 37 of John 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39 here was very clear to me. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? Uh, and, and what stood out to me is the word given there. How many of your Bibles have the word given in italicized lettering? It means it was added to help us understand. Sometimes the italicized words help. Sometimes they don't help as much. Okay? Okay. Um, so I took that word out for a second and I read it. Now I'll read verse number 39. But this day he of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? You got that? Are you from? So that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse number 39, this is the Spirit. But the Holy Ghost was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. 
Starting in verse number 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being at present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you have loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go to my Father, and my Father is greater. And now I have told you before it to come to pass, that when it comes to pass, you might believe. Um, let me back up the scripture. Now, back up to verse number 16, or 17. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it seeth it not, and you know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Remember the Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that in the Father does and be in me and I in you. So what, what I'm trying to say here is the Holy Ghost, the expression of this, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, was not even in existence when Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he needed to be born of the water of the Spirit because it did not happen until Jesus was glorified. The Holy Ghost, or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, or the evidence of speaking in other tongues, is the Spirit of the risen Christ. Okay? Now remember verse 6 of chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now we get over here to the end of John. John 7, the Holy Ghost was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we get over here to John chapter 14. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. You're not going to see me, but I'm going to come to you. And, and the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that's going to come to you. Okay? So. If you have to be born, if a man must be born of the water and of the spirit, but that which is born of the flesh is flesh, then there's got to be a difference. That baptism of the Holy Ghost and the evidence of speaking in other tongues, that can't be birth. And here's the reason why it can't be birth. Well, it could be if Jesus wasn't a man. Jesus was a man. Was he? He was born in Bethlehem. He died in Jerusalem. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had to pray. Now, look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I'm getting all the way back to the fact that water baptism accompanies the, the new birth experience. The experience. John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Notice verse 13 now. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay? The infilling of the Holy Ghost, or the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of the risen Christ, he was glorified, yes, but he was flesh, he was blood, 
We know that he had his own will because in the garden he said, not my will, but I will be done. Okay? So the whole, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's impossible for that to be the birth of the Spirit. So my question to the Lord was, well, you're going to have to show me in Scripture where the baptism of the Spirit, took, or the, the birth of the Spirit took place. Why, what's, what's the difference? And here's what my conclusion was by, by, by what in, in Scripture, and I don't have it in front of me now, so you're just going to have to uh, look it up later. And that is simply this. I said, for in John chapter 3, Jesus used some very explicit terminology. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot, okay. We have often asked, well, why did God pray? Why did Jesus pray? Because he's a man. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, all flesh must pray. All flesh. So he had to pray. Why did Jesus have to eat? Because he was a man. Why did he have to drink? Why did he have to sleep? Why did he have to do all these things? Well, if he had to do all those things as a man, it would go to say that he had to be born again. That almost sounds sacrilegious. But if you ask a lot of people when he was born again, they would say when he came out of the tomb. My response to that would be, no, 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 that's not when he was born again. That was when he was resurrected. How was he born again like you and I need to be born again? And the only place that I could find it is in the accounts of his baptism. When he went down into Jordan with John the Baptist, the Bible says, Jesus says, John first of all says, no, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, 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 that scripture might be fulfilled. What scripture? Could it be this scripture, except the man born of the water and the spirit? So what ends up happening? Jesus goes down in the waters of Jordan by being baptized by John the Baptist. And what happens when he comes up out of the water? And not only did he, what was the sign of John that Jesus was the Messiah? That the Spirit would descend and stay on him. And the light bulb just came on. When we go into the waters of baptism, when you come up and, you, and then you tie it together with some of the scriptures that we've already read, uh, Romans chapter 6, where it says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, that you were buried with Christ in baptism, and like as Christ was raised from the dead, even though even so we also should come to newness of we have a new creature, we're born of the water and the spirit at water and baptism. It is the reason why I believe. So so then I got to going, first of all, let me take a pause. Because I know I start talking fast when I get into this. Um, is there a question, comment, anything right now? Are you following along with what my rationale? Because this isn't, I, I just, I know that this hasn't been taught as far as I know anywhere else. Um, maybe in some way, shape, or form, but I just haven't heard it. Uh, this is just, this is where I've come from. This is where I've come uh, to the understanding of what this whole baptism and, and new birth uh, takes place. Okay, so now I look at, at, at this passage of scripture and, and I go and I wonder, okay, well, verse 8 said I'm going to hear it. And I'm like, well, what am I hearing? Well, at the baptism, there was a voice that was heard by Christ. It, wasn't, it was a sound. 
Let everybody else serve you. Thou art my beloved son. Only God says, who am I more pleased? Okay. There's something that happens in the spirit that you hear. And then not only that, something that I always was troubled by. And again, if you turn over to Galatians chapter 5, I was always troubled by this until I started thinking about being born of the spirit this way. And that is, is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Well, actually, verse number 19. 19, 20, and 21 lists off all of the works of the flesh. And uh, in verse 21 says, Of which I tell you before, as I have also spoken to my past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, Lust, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay? I always struggled because I watched people that I knew had not been baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Manifesting love, joy, peace, love, suffering. And I'm like, God, is that just a personality? Is that just a fleshly ability of some people? To show love, joy, peace, long suffering, or is there something different? And what I come to believe is that when, the, when you're born of the Spirit, that fruit begins to be shown, and that's what we begin to see. It's it's why when people come out of the waters of baptism, there's something different that happens. There's a transformation that takes place. And so I believe in number three in your notes. I believe that. Baptism is the fulfillment of your new birth experience. You are born again when you're baptized in the waters of baptism. Okay? It's the reason why, on another note, it's the reason my questioning in the giving of all this is I always struggled because I always wondered how somebody could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues before they were baptized in water. Which was my case. I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and a week later I was baptized. And nobody ever gave me a real good answer to that because I'm thinking, okay, number one, I neither one of those will happen without repentance. I've got to surrender it all to God to begin with. So I, I, I got that. Repentance is the first phase. Believing in repentance is the first phase. I said, but how can I become a new man before I bury the old one? How can he baptize me in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues if that was the birth of the Spirit? How can he do that before the old man was even married? And nobody ever had an answer to that um, other than, well, God can do whatever he wants to do. Well, he can. That's a good enough answer, I guess. But at the same time, God is fairly logical. It's just that we don't see it all the time. And so when I began to do this study, I realized your burial and your birth happen at the same time. You're buried in water, and as you're coming up out of water, you're being born in, by the Spirit and being born again. And then the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when the evidence is speaking in other tongues, some people that 
of my forbidden men and think, well, I've totally given up on the Holy Ghost. That's not a real thing. No, there is a baptism and a gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And it's the greatest gift that God could ever give us because it's the spirit of the risen Christ that he endows endows power into us with his spirit. But it's the spirit of the God-man. It's not the spirit of God based on chapter 1 of the book of John that he gave power to become the sons of God. That's when you are born of the seed. To me, there's a difference between born and baptized. Okay? There is a birth of the Spirit, and there is a baptism of the Spirit. And I struggled with that a long time until I found out that there were some leaders that I had followed that actually did the same thing, but they didn't want to argue about it, so they didn't argue about it. But the, the baptism, when you're baptized in water, you come up. It's the wind that you, that you hear, but you don't know where it came from, where it's going, all you see the after. Okay? When you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in a new language, an unknown language. The Bible calls it tongues. But they, don't, they don't necessarily have to happen at the same time. No. Okay. Not at all. It's mine, two different things. Yeah, because mine didn't. No, it's two different things. The birth and the baptism are two different events. And the difference now that I see this from what I was, your new birth. The way I used to teach it, your new birth is not complete until you were baptized with the Holy Ghost. You'll be able to speak in other tongues. So people like my mother who were baptized and it was three years before she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost to be able to speak in other tongues. As, as a 10-year-old boy, I didn't understand what God, she died, she was buried, and you're now waiting three years to get her the Holy Ghost. Okay? And, and, and and there's the whole Terry concept back in the day where you had to Terry for the Holy Ghost and you had to pray it, you know. And there was a gentleman that uh, in, in, a, in one of the churches that we served in that spent a good seven years after his baptism trying to receive the Holy Ghost. And he struggled because he didn't think he was born again. And so every service he came to church in a panic because in his mind he wasn't ready for heaven yet because he hadn't been born of the Spirit. And the Bible said every man had to be born of the water and the Spirit. And for five, six, seven years, every service he was in the corner of the altar just begging God to baptize him with the Holy Ghost because he wanted to be born again. When in all actuality he was already born again and wasted seven years basically trying to get something that God gave to him eventually, but that he missed out on the seven years of freedom. He beat himself up for seven years because God had given him the Holy Ghost. And, and the question is, is if the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a gift, how can a gift be a requirement? Okay, Jesus is making the birth of the Spirit a requirement. Unless you're born of the water, you must be born of the water, you must be born of the Spirit. Okay, if that's a requirement of new birth, but the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a gift that he gives, okay? That means you can earn his gift, right? Because, because you can jump through the steps and then he has to give it to you as a requirement. Then there is that checklist of getting right with God. But when I checked it all, God, now you got to give it to me. Because you made it a requirement. 
And if it's a requirement, I've got to have it. And so if you don't want to give it to me, that's too bad because I want it. Okay, you understand where I'm coming from? And, and, and in all actuality, when you are born of the Spirit, it frees you to follow after God because you are now a spirit being, if you will. You've been born of the Spirit. And if you're born of the Spirit, God can baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And it's the Spirit of, the, of, of, of God in you. And I say God is the blending of Jesus and the humanity and deity of Christ is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Does that help at all? It does. Um, I guess my other question would be now saying it that way and learning it this way, I'm erasing everything that I learned before. But yeah, I've I, done that. <laughs> I wonder because like when I, like how I grew up, I see young kids nowadays that are preaching and I wonder like we because I got dedicated and then I got baptized when I was really really little but I didn't really know what it was all about mm -hmm. I just did it because my parents told me I had to yeah. and then when I got older and I understood I got baptized again yeah. but, but at that point I knew what I was doing so I'm confused by because I and I'm thinking to myself, Daniel watches me speak in tongues, and then he copies what I do. So that's not real. I, I know it's not real because he's mocking me, but what about those kids that are actually on the forefront? Like, oh, absolutely. Like, I'm, Listen, the gift of the Holy Ghost can be given to anybody at any time. It's a gift. It's just like I can give anybody in here when I want to, if I want to, and I have the resources to do so. I can give anybody that I want to give to any time. And God has got all kinds of resources. So if he wants to give somebody to give the Holy Ghost, my wife received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at age four. I was 10. Only when I was 11. I was like seven. So even seven. before you get baptized, did you get it? You can get the Holy Ghost before you. But when you born in the Spirit, you can give him gifts. Okay. Okay. You're, you're, you're trying to go because it's the word spirit. You're kind of you're, you're trying to unite the same thing. Okay, born of the spirit of God, born of deity. Uh, we'll use that word instead. You're born of the water, you're born of deity. That that pure Holy Spirit, the, the, the spirit of God that created everything. Uh, that which is spirit, not flesh. Okay, Jesus, when he came, the Bible says in verse fourteen of John chapter one. He became flesh, okay? And the Holy Ghost that they were baptized with is the spirit of the blended humanity and deity of God, okay? Because the Bible says the safety of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus was glorified, now we have access. We could never get the Holy Ghost baptized, uh, baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking other tongues until Jesus was glorified. Okay, that happened after that. But you can be born of the Spirit because uh, He's the one that does it. You bury the old man, and the Bible says, even so, just like, like God raised Christ from the dead, He raises us from the dead. Okay? My process of elimination is I don't see anywhere else in Scripture other than coming up out of the water of being born anew of the Spirit. 
And there's another, I don't see any other action or activity or, 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 or anything. And when, when the book of Romans ties together in the act of water baptism, newness of life, taking on Christ, walking in, 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 in the old nature and the new nature, that all happens at baptism in Scripture. And so to me, the new birth experience happens. Now, I understand, like I said, this is different than a lot of churches because a lot of churches go either one of two ways. Either baptism is just a confession, it's a symbolic nature of something that's happened to you, or they go the flip side that attaches the gift of the Holy Ghost to salvation. Um, I find I had, I struggled trying to figure out because I knew it was more than just believe and receive, that there was something that, uh, let me put it to you this way. Ephesians 2 8 says, uh, For my grace will be saved through faith, that none of the substance is given out. Through, through faith, there's an action based on the grace that grace calls us to the waters of baptism. We act by giving in and in allowing our nature to be to be buried. Okay? And so that gets me to so so when I come up out of the waters of baptism, I am a totally and completely new being. It's the reason why I feel lighter, it's the reason why I feel happier. It's the it's it it, it, it totally changed my understanding of what baptism is. So does anybody have any other questions right now? Yes, ma'am. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's, you know, one offshoot was this because they didn't agree with this doctrine and they wouldn't stand for this doctrine. Every denomination is like that. It, it doesn't matter what background they come from. The denomination started because they disagreed. Baptism is one of the big keys of disagreement. For instance, to me, baptism, the key to baptism is the relationship of the person being baptized with God. Okay? And so in your notes here, when should I be baptized? When you understand. Okay? That's why we'll baptize some children. Now, in the midst of this, it's the reason why we don't baptize infants. Because in my understanding, infants are pure. Because they haven't committed sin yet. 
which goes, we, we talked about this before COVID, the whole concept of being born in sin, shaped in iniquity, that scripture in the Old Testament, that how many have ever heard we're all born sinners? Okay, well, no, because an infant child doesn't know what sin is. So they don't know that there's, until they know the difference between right and wrong, they can't, they can't commit a sin, and you can't commit a sin, and you can't be a sinner. Okay, that's otherwise we need to, I need to, as the preacher, I need to be in the delivery room for every delivery so that I can baptize them right away because we don't want them just being sinners. Does that, does that make sense? As an infant, that, that they're good until they have an understanding of right and wrong and not just learn behavior, you know, don't talk back kind of wrong. Uh, but when they understand the depravity of their sins, that's when we baptize them. Okay? And that, and if it's a child, we discuss it with the parents. It's the reason why we do have child dedications. Child dedications are dedicated, really, to dedicated parents, but we're dedicating that child to the Lord and saying, Lord, lead this child all the days of their life. Okay? But it's not a baptismal thing. Okay? <clears throat> when should I be baptized? When I understand right from wrong. Um, I've had people ask, well, should I be rebaptized? Rebaptism is number one of the biblical. The people did it. John, Acts chapter 19. They, of the disciples of John were baptized after the baptism of John, and Paul said, Well, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were rebaptized. Baptism is based off of an understanding. There again, it's a relationship with that person. I would never tell somebody, You must be baptized a different way or baptized the way I say you should be baptized. It comes down, I'm going to share with you what I believe the scripture shows you should be baptized. And if in your relationship with God, you need to be rebaptized, then by all means, let's be rebaptized. Okay? Which gets us very quickly, maybe about five or ten more minutes. Um, you can reference the history um, and the importance of baptism later on your own. Uh, I want to talk about the name that should be called Overeem Baptism. Several people have been, well, several churches and denominations baptized uh, after the, the directive of Matthew 28, 19, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, we baptize in the name of Jesus. And here's the reason why the, the distinction that we make is nowhere in the New Testament did anybody ever get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, they were all baptized. The disciples baptized everybody in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, that started in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. And there was a shift in the doctrine of what's called the Trinity Doctrine. And in 325, they broke down into a Trinity Doctrine and they started baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost instead of the name of Jesus. Before that, everybody was baptized in Jesus' name in Christianity. Yeah, obviously there were other baptisms elsewhere, but in Christianity, that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Catholic Encyclopedia, you know, the church that baptizes infants by sprinkling in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in their own encyclopedia, it says that they originally baptized by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you say that? That's how you say it? That's how I say it. I say, and I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Okay, here's the reason why. 
Well, there, there's several reasons, but for number one there, that's what Jesus tells us to do uh, in Luke 24, 47. Um, Simon Peter says it in Acts 2, in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, they're all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 4, 12 said there's no other salvation in any other, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says you're washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now there's, there's, there's two main reasons that I do it in the name, well, besides that right here, okay? There's two other main reasons that I baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. So none of that reference earlier tonight was in Colossians, I think it's 2.27, but it's, Whatsoever you do in word, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, so there's there's two outside of Scripture, if you will. There's two reasons why I baptize in the name of Jesus. Number one is I don't know what the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost is because they're titles. So when Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I don't know what that name is. Okay? Now, I can tell you what I, I, I shouldn't say I don't know. I know what the name is, but the name of the Father, if you read Isaiah 9 6, is prophetically speaking of Jesus being the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. We quote it every Christmas. Okay? So to me, the name of the Father is equal to the name of Jesus. Obviously, the Son is the name Jesus. That's all through the New Testament. And the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, I will not leave you come close, I will come to you. Okay? And so the title of the Holy Ghost is Holy Ghost. But who is the Holy Ghost? It's the manifestation of Christ, or the expression of Christ. Now, in 325 A.D., Athanasius introduced a concept of the Trinity. Now, and, and I'm going to take just a couple of minutes and then we're done. <clears throat> the concept of the Trinity, because I can teach my pastor taught on this for 10 years, four services, five services a week. You can ask Paul. You've heard it all. Um, but in 325, they came up with this concept of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three in one. Okay, now if I'm sitting with a Trinitarian theologian, he and I will argue. Okay, we'll debate. Okay, but when I'm talking to an average, just a believer, they will, and I begin to ask them questions about the Trinity, they and I will just, will be able to agree. Okay. It's the, field, it's the level of the theologian that the, dis, the, the discrepancy is not having come. Okay? The Trinitarians use the word person. The person of the Father, the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Ghost. And they'll say these three are one. Okay? I believe that they aren't persons, but they're expressions or manifestations of God. Okay? So, as the Father... I'm talking to God. As the Son, I'm talking to God. As the Holy Ghost, I'm talking to God. It's all the same thing. It's one. Okay? Which 
goes back to the very beginning basics of Judaism. Here in Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay? So, but here's what's happened is when that concept of the Trinity came in, the baptismal formula started changing to adapt to the concept of the Trinity. Okay? And so now they were kind of baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they used the one scripture out of Matthew to say that they're doing it the right way. The problem that I have with that is the Bible says that the church was established upon the doctrine of who? Anybody? The apostles. And not one apostle baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay? So if the church is built on the doctrine of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and they baptized everybody in the name of Jesus, then that's what I believe is the pattern. That's the second reason why I baptized in the name of Jesus. The first, obviously, was I believe that the name of Jesus encapsulates the whole concept of who God is. Uh, the Bible says this in John chapter 1, and I'm done. Uh, the reason why I call out the name of Jesus is because the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, that's verse 1. That lets us know that the Word is God, right? It's God. Okay? In verse 14, what does it say? It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the concept of the Son was not a second person that was being sent by a first person. It was God coming in humanity. Okay? And, and it's still the same person. Now, as a man, he restricted some of his... The Philippians 2 says he, he came obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Okay? He restricted some things that he could He told Pilate, you don't even know what you're talking about. I can just, I can tear you up right now. I could have a whole lot of angels coming, but I'm not going to because I've got a bigger project in mind here. Okay? So when I look at God, when I get to heaven and I look at God, I'm going to see one. His name is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's the express image of the invisible God. Well, why does it say that? I get it. Like, in my mind, it's one to me, right? Yep. I get all of it. But why does it say Jesus Christ and then God both in the Bible as if it's two people? You know what and I'm saying? That's what two weeks you Next week I'm going to talk about the Holy Ghost in a little bit more in depth, and then I'm going to be talking about what a lot of churches classify quote unquote as the oneness. Or I say, well, who is Jesus? Okay. Um, so just hold that. Be praying about it, thinking about it. But there is a definite reason why it's written the way it is. It's spoken the way it is. Um, but when it comes to baptism, that's why I baptize in Jesus' name. And when somebody's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, how do they ever take on the name of Jesus if they haven't been baptized in Jesus? Okay? You're, you're not having that name called over you. You're not being baptized. You're being baptized in the name of three titles and not in the name. And there's power in the name. Okay? The power comes through the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus encapsulates the entire beginning to end of time of who God really is. 
And so that's why he said, whatever you do in the order, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So on Sunday, you're going to see that we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And we've got several that are requested to be baptized. And, and uh, the one last thing, read the book of Ephesians. I believe it's chapter 5. Uh, the reason why we don't have to constantly be baptized, I invite you to stand. <clears throat> um, the reason why we don't constantly have to be baptized is, is this. Pre-conversion and pre-initial baptism, you are coming from outside the family being adopted into the family. After you've been converted, God and you mess up, just like any of us have messed up in our families, okay? We've been disciplined then by the Lord. Okay? And the Bible says in, I believe it's Ephesians 5, I may be wrong, but we're washed by the, by, by the water of the Word. Okay? As you begin to pick this up and begin to seek Him and pray, literally what you're doing is you're taking a Holy Ghost shower, a Holy Word of the water of the Word, washing by the water of the Word, and, and what's because what's happening is instead of the penalty of sin prior to your conversion is death, the penalty of your sin post-conversion or post-baptism is uh, correction. Okay, you see the difference? One is judgment, one's correction. The judgment has to go to Calvary. The correction is in the relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father. Okay? Because of the adoption process. Uh, when somebody has not been adopted yet, they are paying for the price of their, their actions and things because there's no familial name attached to it. There's, no, there's nothing that's holding it together. But when that person is adopted into a family, it takes on the concept of the family. And what was causing them trouble before is now just causing for correction. Then, so as you begin to read the uh, first Timothy 3.16, the word of God is inspired for reproof, rebuke, Okay, so that, that's going back to your question earlier tonight. That's why we don't have to be baptized over and over and over again because we're really cleansed by His Word because we have His Spirit already having been born in us, and now we are a child of God, and He does it for correction. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this time together. I pray to that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. One step uh, at a time, Lord, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. So next week we'll be uh, dealing.